Now, there's a tension. There's a tension that all of us experience in our lives. It's a tension that we're probably reminded of more often than we want to be. It's a tension that I know for me uh, rears its ugly head probably on a daily basis. But it's a tension that we all experience and that all of us know what it feels like. This tension comes up, for instance, when we go see the doctor or the dentist. And before we leave their office, they say something to us like, you know, you should really exercise more. Or they say, you should floss more regularly. And in that moment and at that time, we believe that we're telling the doctor or the dentist the truth when we look back to them and say, doctor, I promise from this moment on in my life, there will be more exercise. Or we look at the dentist and we say, listen, I promise this is the six-month period that I start flossing my teeth. And we leave the office with all sorts of good intentions and A few months later, when that reminder goes off on our calendar that we have an appointment with the doctor or the dentist, we begin to panic because we remember that we haven't exercised in months, and we're not sure we even own floss. It's the tension uh, that, that comes up when our teacher or our boss asks us to do a project or an assignment, and so we say we're going to do it. And then we have that sinking, sinking feeling when we walk into the meeting or we walk into the classroom and we know that we forgot to do the thing that we agreed to do. It's that feeling that rears its ugly head when we sit down and we turn on Netflix and we say to ourselves, I'm only going to watch one episode of this show that I love. And that episode ends and Netflix cues up the next episode automatically. And the next thing we know, we emerge from some five-hour episode slumber. It's the tension that comes up when we promise ourselves we're just going to watch one. And we end up watching three or four or five. It's the tension that happens in our own hearts, in our own lives. When we promise ourselves we're going to do certain things. When we make that resolution... This is the last time I'm going to be late. This is the last time I'm going to do some action. We make ourselves all sorts of promises and resolutions and then give ourselves 10 days or two weeks and chances are we'll slip back into our old patterns of behavior. So what is the tension that I'm talking about? It's a tension that we all experience between our good intentions and what we actually do. All of us know what this tension is like in our lives between our good intentions to be good people, to do the right thing, to exercise more, to floss regularly, to just watch one episode, to be a better person. We all know what it's like to have this gap between our good intentions to do the right thing and say the right thing and think the right way and be a good person and what we actually end up doing. It's a gap that exists in all of our lives. Now you may say to me, Pastor Brian, I'm kind of buying what you're saying, but what would be really helpful is if you could back this with some obscure music lyrics from the 1990s. Well, no problem. I have some for you. In 1995, a band called Toad the Wet Sprocket, which just me and uh, both my friends were fans of in high school, a band called Toad the Wet Sprocket released a song in 1995 called Good Intentions. And it was on the the album In Light Syrup, which I'm sure none of you own. And this is the first couple lines of that song. He says, it's hard to rely on my good intentions 
when my head's full of things that I can't mention. And I think that most of us know these lyrics to be true in our lives. It's, 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 not, it's hard to rely on my good intentions when my head's full of things that I can't mention. We know that. We have really good intentions to be better people and think the right way and do better things. But if we're honest with ourselves, we know that inside our hearts and our minds there are things lingering that create this gap between what we want to do and who we want to be and who we are. And sometimes we can do really well, and we can be better and think better and act better, but this gap always eventually rears its ugly head, doesn't it? The gap between who we want to be, our good intentions, and our actions. There's another line in the song where he says, I'm, I'm, I'm not afraid that things won't get better, but I feel like this has gone on forever. And one of the things that's true about this gap is it goes on in our lives much longer than we think that it should or would. I know for myself, uh, one of the gaps in my own life has to do with the words that I use. I can be a pretty sarcastic person. I'm not sure where I got that from, but I can be a pretty sarcastic person, like when I introduced music lyrics from the 90s. I can be a pretty sarcastic person. But many times in my life, the sarcasm has hurt other people, belittled other people, And more often than not, it's the people I care about the most and the people that are closest to me who get hurt and belittled. So for quite a while in my life, I've said to myself, okay, I'm not going to do that anymore. I don't want to hurt people. I don't want to belittle people. I'm not going to do that anymore. And I'll say something and and I'll leave that situation. I'll be like, that was stupid. I'm never saying something like that again. And I look at it now in my life, and I'll still make mistakes in that area. I'll still have conversations with people and leave and say, man, I wish I wouldn't have said that. I thought it might have been funny, but all I ended up doing was making them feel worse. And I think to myself, how is it that I've been working on this same issue for over two decades in my life? Maybe even longer than that. I've been working on this same issue over and over and over again. And I can tell you that many times I've said to myself, I'm not doing that again. It's not going to happen again. But yet inevitably it does. And maybe it's something like sarcasm or maybe it's something more serious in your life. I think all of us have things that are probably more serious than that. That we've been working on in our lives over and over and over again. I'm not going to say that again. I'm not going to do that again. I'm not going to go there again. And inevitably this gap comes back, doesn't it? The gap between what we intend to do and what we actually do. The question I want us to think about this morning is, what do we do about the gap? If you've been with us uh, through the book, uh, the last few weeks, you know we've been walking through the book of Romans on Sunday mornings. And the passage that we're going to get to this morning, Paul talks about this gap in our lives. And he tells us exactly what we should do about it. And so we're going to talk about that together for the next few minutes this morning. If you take a look in your Bible, in Romans chapter 7, we're in verse 7, and we're going to read to verse 25. This is what Paul writes. What then shall we say? That the law, and he's talking about God's law, that the law is sin? By no means. Yet if it had not been for the law... I would not have known sin, for I would have not known what it is to covet if the law had not said, you shall not covet. But sin, seizing an opportunity through the commandment, produced in me all kinds of covetousness. 
For apart from the law, sin lies dead. I was once alive apart from the law, but when the commandment came, sin came alive and I died. The very commandment that promised life proved to be death to me. For sin, seizing an opportunity through the commandment, deceived me and through it killed me. So the law is holy and the commandment is holy and righteous and good. Did that which is good then bring death to me? By no means. It was sin, producing death in me through what is good in order that sin might be shown to be sin and through the commandment might become sinful beyond measure. For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am of of the flesh, sold under sin. For I do not understand my own actions, for I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. Now if I do what I do not want, I agree with the law, that is good. So now it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. For I know that nothing good dwells in me that is in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. For I do not do the good I want. This is exactly what we were talking about. But the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. Now, if I do what I do not want, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. So I find it to be a law that when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. For I delight in the law of God in my inner being. But I see in my members another law waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then I myself serve the law of God with my mind, but with my flesh I serve the law of sin. Now you may be saying to me, Pastor Brian, that was a, that was a mouthful. What is Paul saying? Here's what he's saying. He's saying that same gap that exists in our relationships with other people and in our own hearts and minds, that same exact gap that exists between our good intentions and our actions exists in our relationship with God. What Paul is saying to us is that gap exists. And here's how the gap forms in our relationship with God. And this is exactly what Paul says to us. He says to us that God gives us his rules. God gives us his law telling us how we are to live. That God puts those out there for us. And that the gap is created in two ways because of God's law. There's two things that God's law does, God's rules do, that creates this gap between our desire to live a certain way and what we actually do. And this is how it's created, Paul says. The first way that it's created is that God's law reveals sin in our own hearts and minds. That God's law reveals sin in our life. And Paul brings up a very specific example in these verses, you may remember. In fact, he brings up one of the Ten Commandments. And the Ten Commandments is exactly one of these examples of God revealing his rules to his people. So you remember the story. Moses goes up on the mountain. God gives Moses his Ten Commandments. Moses comes down and eventually presents them to God's people. And this is God saying to his people, listen, this is what I call right, and this is what I call wrong. And all of a sudden, when God says it, in the people's hearts and in their minds, a light bulb goes off, and they say to themselves, oh, these things that we've been doing, God doesn't want us to do anymore. And the way that the law creates the gap is the first thing it does is it sheds light on what God calls sin and what he says is wrong. 
It's kind of like when your teacher or your parent or your boss comes in and says, listen, if you're going to be in this classroom and you're going to pass, or you're going to be a part of this company and you're going to excel, or if you're going to live under this roof, these are the rules that must be followed. And maybe if you went somewhere else, there could be a different rule. But if you're going to be in this house or this class or this company, here's the rule. It's God saying to us, God saying to his people, if you're going to be my people and I'm going to be your God, then here are the rules that need to be followed. And for Paul, he brings up very specifically the commandment against covetousness. So he says, which is the 10th commandment, thou shalt not covet. Paul brings up that commandment and he says, I would have never known in my own heart and mind what it even meant to covet unless God had come and told me not to do it. And once God came and told me not to do it, all of a sudden the light bulb went off and I thought to myself, I can't do that anymore. All of a sudden the gap is created. But the law doesn't create the gap in another way as well. It's not just that the law reveals sin. The law also provokes sin inside of us. There's something inside of us that wants to do things people tell us we can't do. It's like when my son, my two-year-old son, picks up a toy at the house, and I look at him and I say, don't you throw that. Immediately I regret saying that. Because he gives me a look back, a look in his eyes that says, you know, I didn't even think about throwing this toy. But now that you mention it, I'm going to throw it. Uh, a couple of guys named Stephen Levitt and Stephen uh, Dubner. Stephen Levitt is an economist, and Stephen Dubner is a journalist with the, uh, with the New York Times. They came out with a book a few years ago that was a huge bestseller called Freakonomics, and they came out with another book in 2014 called Think Like a Freak. And in the book from 2014, they talk about an experiment that was done at Petrified Forest National Park in Arizona. Apparently, uh, I've never been to Petrified Forest in Arizona, but there is apparently a lot of petrified wood throughout the park. And they had a problem. People were stealing the petrified wood. And they put up a big sign that said, many people are destroying our national heritage by stealing 14 tons of petrified wood from this park every year. Please help protect this park. Don't steal the wood. Well, the theft never went down. In fact, it went up. And so there was this man by the name of Robert Cialdini, uh, who's an expert in persuasion. He's written a lot of books. He came and did an experiment with some of his colleagues. And what they did was they took these signs and they put them along certain paths to try to figure out what was happening. And on other paths, they put no signs. And what they found was on the path that there were signs saying, don't destroy our national heritage by stealing 14 tons of petrified wood a year, theft tripled on those paths. Because people read the sign, and instead of saying, uh, well, we really shouldn't do that. That's, that's terrible that people are stealing. They read that sign, and they said, other people are getting 14 tons of petrified wood every year? I'm missing out. I'm taking some petrified wood for myself. And they took down all the signs, and theft went way down. We like to be sovereign over our own lives. We like to be in charge. There's something inside of us that wants to be the one to determine what we do and what we don't do. So when someone comes to us, including God, 
and has the audacity to tell us not to do something, there is something inside of us that rises up and says, you know what? You can't tell me what to do. There's a famous uh, early father of the Christian church. His name is St. Augustine of Hippo, and he lived in the 4th and 5th century. He wrote a really uh, well-known book called Confessions. And in the second book of Confessions, he tells a story about him and some of his childhood friends stealing pears off a pear tree. And as he reflects back on that instance, he says that he and his friends saw a pear tree they knew they weren't supposed to touch. But they decided to go and steal the pears, and they didn't eat them. They didn't want them for themselves. In fact, he writes in the book that he had better pears and more pears back at home. If he was going to eat a pear, he'd go eat the pears that he already had. Rather, his friends just stole the pears off the tree, and they threw them to the pigs. And it was all about, he said, it was all about the thrill of doing what was wrong. Had nothing to do with whether they needed pears or, or, or whether they needed to eat. and had everything to do with they knew it was forbidden, and so they just wanted to do it. And this is how the gap is created in our lives by God's law, isn't it? That God tells us we should or we shouldn't do something. And all of a sudden we realize, whoops, we've already been doing that. And then there's this thing inside of us, that rebellious piece that says, well, you know what? I'm going to do it anyway. And so the gap is created. Now, many of us say we love God and we want to do what God wants us to do and we have great intentions, but when God's law comes into play and it's put up against our actions, inevitably there is a gap there. So the question is, and what Paul is getting at, is what in the world then do we do about the gap? If we want to be people that love God and follow God and have a relationship with him, what do we do about the gap? Well, there's four responses that I'm going to go through fairly quickly to this gap problem. I think this gap problem is something that everybody who comes encounter with God law experience, experiences. If you're a staunch atheist and you hear about God's law, you experience this gap. If you're the greatest, if you're Billy Graham or Mother Teresa, and you come in contact with God's law, you experience this gap. All of us experience the gap, but then we have to decide how we're going to respond to it. And the first two of the four responses are, I think, how many people in our world are responding today to this gap. The third response is what most Christians do, and in fact, what Paul did most of his life. And the fourth response is what Paul tells us we should do as a result of this gap. The first two is what our world often does. They come in contact with this gap. God tells us to do something. We don't want to do it. We want to keep doing what we're doing. And so this gap is created. And so this is what our world does. The first thing that we do is we just throw out God's law. That's the first thing that we do. And then we get rid of the gap. If you get rid of God's law and just discard it and throw it away, then there's no gap anymore because all that's important is my actions. And many people in our world, this is what they have done and what what they are doing. Yeah, I hear what God said, but that's old and it's antiquated and it's not for today. It doesn't match up with how I feel or how I think. And I don't want to do that. So here's how we'll solve this problem. We'll just throw out the law and we won't pay attention to it and we'll get rid of it and then there's no gap. And all of a sudden, uh, everything's, everything's okay. And all that matters is my action. The second thing that our world will do, and perhaps this is even more common than the first, is that they'll trivialize God's law. 
we'll trivialize the law of God. And we'll say, listen, we believe that there is God. And we believe that there is a certain standard of morality that we should live up to. But the standard that is given to us in the Bible, that if that's God's law, then it really doesn't matter for today. In fact, what really matters is how I feel. So Ernest Hemingway, the great American author, right? Ernest Hemingway says, uh, what is moral is what you feel good after you do it. So if you feel good after you do something, that is moral. And what is immoral is what you feel bad after doing. That's how Ernest Hemingway defined morality in his writings. And that's really how most of our world lives. We trivialize the law of God. The law of God isn't completely unimportant. We, couldn't, we shouldn't totally throw it away. But if we're going to prioritize what we decide to follow, we'll start with our emotions and what seems to be right to us. And God's rules and laws are somewhere down the list, and some of them apply today and some of them don't. And if we trivialize God's law, uh, then we also get rid of the gap. And you'll hear people say, you know, the problem isn't your actions. The problem is, is that you're unnecessarily feeling guilty. If you would reduce uh, the, the priority of God's law and make that less than your emotions or, high, or, or anything else, then you'll feel less guilty and the gap will be taken care of. The problem, we don't have time to go into it a lot, but the biggest problem between throwing out God's law and trivializing it is if we want to be people who have a relationship with God, we can do neither. The second we throw out God's law or trivialize God's law, we also throw away the relationship. God doesn't leave this, these options open to us. God says, if you want a relationship with me, then this law is important. It's an important piece. And so for us who want to follow God and have a relationship with him, we can't throw it out and we can't trivialize it. And here's what most of us do, this third response. Here's what many Christians do. Here's what Paul tried to do for most of his life. And that is just try harder. We'll get rid of the gap by just trying harder. If we just try to be better people and work harder at being better people, then the gap will close. And I think that many of our churches and many of our leaders and and many of our, our, our denominations over centuries have done us a great disservice by telling us that this is true. That if you want to close this gap, this is what you need to do. You just need to be a better person. You need to try harder. You need to, you need to do better. And if you just tried harder and did better, then you would be able to close this gap. But it doesn't match up with our reality, does it? In fact, I, I read a quote recently from Benjamin Franklin's autobiography. And I thought that this quote was interesting and I thought it spoke right to what we're talking about here with trying harder. He writes in his autobiography, Benjamin Franklin, I once conceived the bold and arduous project of arriving at moral perfection. I wished to live without committing any fault at any time. I would conquer all that either natural inclinations, custom, or company might lead me into, as I knew or I thought I knew what was right or wrong. I did not see why I might not always do the one and avoid the other. But I soon found I had undertaken a task of more difficulty than I had imagined. While my care was employed in guarding against one fault, I was often surprised by another. Habit took advantage of inattention. Inclination was sometimes too strong for reason. I concluded at length that the mere speculative conviction that it was in our 
interest to be completely virtuous was not sufficient to prevent our slipping. And that's exactly what Paul's saying. And what we know to be true in our own lives. We can't live up to it. There's no amount of trying harder that's going to completely fix the gap. And honestly, if Benjamin Franklin can't do it, then I know I can't do it. There's no amount of work that we can put into it, no amount of effort that's going to solve this. And Paul, if you know anything of Paul's story, the Apostle Paul, for a long time in his life, he was a rule keeper. He tried to do everything that God said to do. And he had this revelation in which he realized that there was no way that his good works were ever going to close this gap. And so then he gives us in this passage what is the fourth response and what is the only way to close this gap between what God asks us to do and our good intentions and what we actually end up doing. And that is, Paul says, that we are to trust in Jesus Christ. See, here's the the value of God's law in our lives today. It's not just to make us better people, as we often think it is. God's law doesn't exist so that we just try to become more moral, better people. God's law exists to reveal to us that even though we're not as bad as we could be, we'll never be as good as we should be. There's a pastor named Stuart Briscoe, and that's what he wrote about this passage. I thought it was a great line. We're not as bad as we could be. I'm not saying that we're all the worst people on the face of the earth here. We're not as bad as we could be. But none of us, in accordance with God's law, are as good as we should be. And so something has to be done about that. And the law exists, God's law exists, to reveal that to us. And to push us, not into throwing it out, not into trivializing it, not into trying harder, but to trusting Christ more. You see, if the law doesn't do its work of revealing in us that we have a gap between our good intentions and our actions, between our desire to follow God and what we actually do, if the law doesn't do that work, then we'll never move on and put our trust in Jesus Christ. And so Paul starts this passage by asking this question, is the law evil? Is the law sin? And he says, no, no. Because without it, I would never understand my need for Jesus Christ. I would never understand that I can't do this on my own. I would never understand that I have a need to be rescued and to be saved by Jesus Christ. And so who's going to save me from this gap, Paul says? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Because in him, in his life and in his death and his resurrection, he provides the opportunity and he fills the gap that we can't fill on our own. And if we want a relationship with God, if you want a relationship with God that is deeper and stronger, then rather than throwing out God's law, rather than trivializing it, rather than just trying harder, what we need to do is put our trust in Jesus Christ and say, I'm not in control, you're in control. I recognize this gap that I've created. I recognize this sin in my life. I'm sorry about it. I'm trusting not in myself anymore. I'm trusting in you. That's the only solution that's offered us to closing the gap and to have a relationship with God. And you may ask me the question, well, what about just, how do we become better people though? It's one thing just to trust, but we can't just go and do whatever we want. We still have to become better at following God's law. 
Well, I invite you back next week because Paul's not done. But here's this week. Here's this week. This week is step one. Then when we come in contact with this gap, we don't just make promises to ourselves we're going to be better people. We don't say we'll forget those rules. But we put our trust in Jesus Christ and remind ourselves, I can't do it on my own, so I'm trusting in you. I'm going to invite our worship team back to the stage, and I invite you right where you are just to bow your head and close your eyes. I'm just going to ask you to think about this with me for just one moment. Just a couple of moments here to think about what we've been talking about. You know, maybe you're here this morning, and this morning would be a day that you would say, God, for the first time, I want to stop trying to do this myself, and I want to put my trust in you. This is your opportunity in these moments, in these minutes, to do that. As the music plays at the end of this service, and as we sing, that you would take a moment in your heart and your mind to say, God, I'm sick of trying this on my own. I know I'm never going to close this gap. I know your law is important. I want a relationship with you, so I put my trust in Jesus Christ. And maybe you're here this morning and you followed God for a while and you've been a Christian for a while. You followed Jesus for a while. But you know that in your own heart and in your own mind, you have in some way trivialized God's law. You've made it less important in your life than it needs to be. Or you've stopped trusting in Christ and you've started trying just to do this on your own strength. And it hasn't been going well. Maybe today is a day that you come back and you say, God, I know that this has been true in my life before. And today I reaffirm my trust in you. I need you to do this. And let me say one other note to us this morning. I think when it comes to this gap, one of the most dangerous places we can be is if we've stopped feeling guilty in our lives about what we do. I know we live in a world that would tell us we should never feel guilty about anything. But if we get to the point that we disobey God's law and do what he asks us not to do or don't do what he asks us to do and we feel no guilt about that, it's like getting to a place in a friendship or a a relationship or a marriage where we we hurt our friends or we, we hurt our spouse and we just don't care anymore. That's a bad place to be. And it's a bad place to be in our relationship with God. God's law reveals that we can't do it on our own. And of course there's guilt there when we don't live up to it. But God has loved us enough and been gracious enough to provide us a way out through his son, Jesus Christ. And if we stop feeling guilt for not living up to what God has called us to live, then probably in our lives we've trivialized God's law or we've gotten rid of it. We're not supposed to to wallow in that guilt. We're not supposed to rest in that guilt. That guilt drives us back to Jesus Christ, drives us back to the cross, drives us back to the one who died for us and rose again that we might be saved. So maybe this morning is a morning that you realize, man, I used to be serious about this, but I haven't been serious about it lately. And that you would reaffirm your trust in God this morning. In a moment, I'm going to ask us to stand and we're going to sing a couple songs as we close. 
We're going to have a couple leaders up at the front of the church. Justin and Lynn Joseph will be on one side. Bill and Karen Sullivan will be on another. We are here because if you would like to pray with someone about these issues, or if there's something going on in your life, we believe our God is living and active. We believe that he hears our prayers. And why would we not, when we come together as his people, spend time praying to him? So as we sing these songs, you're welcome to come up front and kneel at these altars and spend some time alone with God. Please, if there's something you'd like to pray for, please come come up and talk to our elders and our leaders in the church and have them pray with you. But might we all this morning reaffirm our trust in Jesus Christ. God, we love you. Holy Spirit, I pray that you'd move in these moments. In Jesus' name, would you stand and let's worship our God together.